0: You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at bonecur.net. That's b o n c o e u r.net and use the code citycast 20
1: Today on the show, we're rounding up some headlines that caught our attention. And this week, we're focusing on the three big housing stories that directly affect our city's houseless community. Joining me today is the Oregonians' Nicole Hayden, who reports on homelessness, and our very own lead producer, John Notariani. It's Friday, February 10th, 2023. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is CityCast Portland. Nicole, thanks for joining us. I wanted to start off the conversation with one of your stories. Um, You recently went to L.A. uh, to see how the camps they built down there uh, were doing. They were built by Urban Alchemy, and they are going to possibly be the organization that is going to put up the very controversial tent encampments that Mayor Ted Wheeler and Commissioner Dan Ryan have proposed. Tell us what you saw. Let's start with the positives. Like what what was working down there?
2: Yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing that was working is that people felt safe for the first time in a long time. You know, folks who were living completely unsheltered um, in tents or maybe not even having a tent, just sleeping in a sleeping bag. Um, This was an opportunity for them to live in a gated, protected area where they got their basic needs met. So, you know, they got food, um, they got a larger tent than you normally see folks camping in uh, if they're living on the street, and they got support day to day. So people that I talked to that were living there really expressed gratitude for, you um, not having to worry about the violence that comes with uh, sleeping on the street and they could sleep through the night. Now, as far as um, things that people express negativity towards or things critics um, said need to be thought about further um, were the fact that these are just tents as opposed to you know like a tiny home structure. So the federal government doesn't even um, consider these as adequate shelter. Yeah, so they don't fund it,
1: right? They weren't, We won't be available for any kind of earmarked funds for these types of programs is what I'm understanding.
2: Correct. So usually you can capture some HUD funding for shelter and these won't qualify. Um, with that said, there's, of course, other funding um, that could work.
1: Yeah, but didn't uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler ask the county, and they were like, "No, no. correct. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We will not be funding any of these until we see one working." Uh, and so I, I, I thought it was funny that he went from "We're going to open up six of these" to like "We are opening up one." Is that just an assumption on my end, or is that what happened?
2: <laughs> so the city uh, still plans um, to fund their whole project. But at the same time, they're doing one at a time and going slowly. Uh, Mostly that's just how things go because um, it takes a while to build things. And they're kind of wanting to test the waters first uh, before they all of a sudden build a bunch of these throughout the city.
1: Yeah. I'd love to continue hearing more bad news about the (laughs) urban (laughs) alchemy.
0: Okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so... uh, Even in LA, which is obviously much more sunny and warm than here, folks were telling me that, you know, they kind of had to strategize to keep their things dry and themselves dry in the tents.
0: Yeah. And I wanted to ask, how big are these, the tent village in LA? Like, how big is it compared to what we're proposing here in Portland?
2: Yeah, it's pretty similar. So they have 95 tents. Um, and we plan to have about 100 tents, but can make room for up to 150 people, you know, so that means like if couples want to broom together in a tent, um, they can, so it would be a pretty similar size to what I saw in LA.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, because I'm just wondering about the cost per camper, right, because in your article, you said that they're spending $3 million annually on this. And I'm wondering how expensive this is per person um, compared to what it would cost to get someone into more permanent housing. Like, do the numbers add
2: up? Yeah, so that's um, what a lot of readers... Uh, who are emailing me after the story were saying, you know, I got all of these readers mm. doing math equations <laughs> in my email. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> I just I want you to know that I feel your pain. And <laughs> you Go on. Yeah, so uh, here uh, Urban Alchemy said in their bid that it would cost about five million dollars to run this site. And yeah, we could house people um, for that cost. It's a hard conversation to have because, as we know, housing is what ends homelessness. But we also know that we have a lack of housing units, and even folks who got approved for a housing voucher are still waiting because they can't find an apartment. So there is a backlog, and we do need to figure out where people can safely stay. And, um, yeah, it will be expensive, but it does seem like these projects are quite expensive maybe part of that is, uh, the staffing, um, they do commit to having like, uh, one staff member to 15 campers ratio.
1: And they provide services, right? Like yeah. there's actual, you know, mental health services, there's food. I remember, I remember reading someone saying I can eat whenever I want, which is a big deal <laughs> for these that shelters. Is, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, when we provide food to people, typically like they have to you know maybe make it across town and if they miss it they're hungry until maybe the next dinner offering so the fact that they can come and go as they please um you know they can get food whenever they want means they can find jobs um and whatnot not have to worry about kind of fitting their life into these certain parameters they can uh kind of just live as they would so yeah that is a big deal. I really want
1: to jump into the company itself, Urban Alchemy, uh, which <laughs> has mainly made these encampments in California, and they have a rep. I mean, I'm just gonna like fast forward ahead and, and give you a big spoiler on this if you have not been, uh, if you have not read Nicole's excellent article. But they're banned from making any more encampments in Sausalito, And Nicole, can you explain what's going on there?
2: Yeah. So that came from a lawsuit filed by folks living in a temporary encampment in Sausalito that the city created after they kind of kicked folks out of another area. And then they hired urban alchemy to run it. Issues arose when, um, workers were bringing in meth into the site and workers doing meth. Yeah, workers. Huh. Yeah. Um, and giving it to uh, the. John's campers. disgusted. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure that everyone knows. <laughs> Come on. John, that, just wait. That, that,
0: that, is, that is not okay.
1: You no, know, it's not. <laughs> it's not.
2: <laughs> so it was that issue coupled with um, a woman report that she was sexually assaulted by a worker. And so the Urban Alchemy contract with the city of Sal was about to expire, anyways. But a federal judge came in and said, yeah, once this expires in the next couple of weeks, you can't set up another contract. And then there were other lawsuits that some of them have just been dismissed or settled that workers employed by Urban Alchemy were saying uh, they felt like the working conditions were not fair, that they weren't getting paid enough and that they weren't getting enough training that's concerning because we know de-escalation and being able to address mental health issues is something that really matters when you're working with a big encampment.
1: So even with all of these issues, why is Portland moving forward with Urban Alchemy? Or they haven't, they haven't announced
2: it. Sorry, <laughs> they haven't announced it.
1: But why is it possible that this might be it?
2: Yeah, a lot of cities across the West Coast are really interested in this model right now because they see it as a quicker, cheaper model. And it does get people off the street, which provides safety. Um, But a lot of critics are saying that they feel like this response is to remove people off the street so, you know, folks don't have to look at people who are homeless and that it can clean up business neighborhoods. And I think the city really wants to do something big um, to show that they're trying but I think the biggest issue that um, maybe we haven't discussed as much is that when Urban Alchemy was asked, like, how they will make these tents safe for Portland, um, their response was that, well, people have survived in tents this long in Portland. We think they'll be able to figure out how to survive in tents here in terms of how to make it through, like, cold winters.
0: Um I'd I'd love to talk about the Sunderland RV Safe Park that is opening. Um, You know, there's been this effort to get these safe rest villages going. They're um, a lot smaller than the sort of mega camps that Wheeler has proposed. But it's taken forever for the city to get these going. What has the timeline looked like?
2: Yeah, uh, we were promised that these would be open at the end of 2021. Now we are in 2023. um, And we have just uh, announced the RV site, the third safe rest village under Commissioner Dan Ryan's safe rest village plan. But this will be the only RV site. We don't have an opening date because it took a while to find a nonprofit to agree to run it because no one has... Mm -hmm. uh, run an RV site here yet. And so it was a lot to ask, you know, our nonprofits running on slim budgets to take on. But um, yeah, it allows people to stay where they feel safe in their RV and come and get services rather than, you know, being at, parking on the side of the street, uh, risking being towed or any other issue that comes with parking where uh, you're not necessarily allowed to per city code
0: this is two year you know we're running two years behind schedule on these smaller sites and i'm just bracing for what that's going to mean for these mega sites you know that are much much bigger that the city is hoping to get going in the next couple years too it just i find it hard to believe that the city is going to be able to suddenly get those things online when these smaller ones have just been struck by so many logistical delays
2: yeah, no, that's a big critique. Something that folks keep bringing up. Um, the LA site I visited was built in six months, but trying to get as many of those tent sites built as the city is envisioning yeah, seems like it could take a long time, given their record of building shelter sites. Mm. Why do you think it's it's
1: been difficult for uh, these sites to find partners? Well, specifically. The Safe Rest Village sites?
2: Yeah, uh, a lot of our nonprofits are really skilled at what they do, um, but running Safe Rest Villages was just not something in their wheelhouse. Uh, And so that was asking them to take on a lot more work with not a lot of funding. uh, And it just really stretches their staff thin. So we had some, you know, initial partners uh, for the, there are three temporary sites uh set up during the pandemic and eventually those partners kind of left and the city had to find new partners and it was just it's a lot of work because you have to be on site physically on site you're not just like checking in on people here and there so i think it's just a logistics challenge
1: yeah okay let's take a break here uh when we come back more on the three big housing stories of the week with oregonian reporter nicole hayden plans for more immediate housing which doesn't feel very immediate but you know when you're working with that much money people are just like what are you going to do tell me every single thing that's going to happen here right and that's Mm -hmm. the way it should be there should be that transparency but uh let's talk about the other housing plan that actually puts people in houses
0: uh john do you want to Tell us what this is all about. This is this is super interesting to me and and like kind of caught me off guard. Uh, Last Friday, Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson put out a 14 million dollar plan to house 300 homeless Portlanders around the central city within a year. Um, you know, looking at these sort of longer term plans that the city itself has been proposing. And then the county, the new county chair is just like, I've got this plan and we're going to get it done within a year. Uh, there's a guarantee to landlords that house the people that they'll get paid rent. I'm curious to see how it's going to be implemented and if it's going to work though. Uh, Nicole, what's your read on this plan? Also,
1: is it a new plan? Is it a new plan though? Nicole, would you consider this a (laughs) brand new plan?
2: (laughs) I would consider it an extension okay. of a prior plan. So, uh, sure. But, yeah, I think we saw last year when Chair, former Chair Deborah Kifori rolled out the Move-In Multnomah program, which this plan is based off of, um, we saw a lot of success. They were able to quickly house folks uh, because a big barrier to... Getting people housed is finding apartments. You can usually get people a voucher, um, but once they get the voucher, uh, they have to still navigate, you know, landlords telling them no because of their record or maybe a prior eviction. And caseworkers really have to finesse that relationship. So being able to offer all these incentives to landlords um, really brought more people to the table, offering up apartment units. Um, that maybe wouldn't have considered this before. And so uh, this past summer, we saw people getting housed within like weeks instead of months. And sometimes years, like people are moving in within like two weeks, which is crazy. And so that's really fast. (laughs) So uh, that was a pilot program and they used up the money and the money ran out. And so this program kind of tries to build on that and making it bigger and giving it more sustainable funding to see if we can do this at scale. And so the first part of the program, like you said, is focused on the downtown Old Town, uh, you know, central city area. And they want to house 300 people in four months. And then from there, kind of expand to the east side of the county and then eventually expand to the full county. And I think we could see a lot of success. I think, The one thing we have to consider, though, is that the population we are focusing on uh, to house in downtown um, is a hard population to house. The biggest challenge for any county or housing authority is targeting folks who need um, mental health care, substance use care, and kind of helping them uh, get acclimated to living inside, maybe after living outside for decades or more. So, I think it'll be interesting to see um, how quickly and how effective it is in downtown.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the plan does say that there are going to be people that they're hiring to coordinate services for these people as well. Um, and, it, and it sounds like those people are going to have a, a huge amount of culpability for whether this succeeds or fails, right? Like, I'm just imagining that those people that are in a support role are going to be so vital to the success of this project.
2: Definitely, yeah. Caseworkers really—they can make or break a situation, and we know we need more caseworkers. You know, pay caseworkers more. Some caseworkers I've talked to have to dip into the programs that the organization they work for offers because they get paid so little. So, mm. yeah, as long as we support the people supporting the folks who are getting housed, it could be—it could be a great recipe.
1: I had a question. So we just talked about, you know, the emergency, you know, tent encampments. I'm calling them emergency because no way someone is going to live in this encampment for longer than six months in my head, in my, you know, in, in a perfect world. And then there's the safe rest villages, which is almost like intermediary. Like, yes, now there's a roof over your head, or now you have something more stable. That's not a tent. And then there's this plan which is just like, here's a house. But I feel like uh, all three look like, these perfect transitional points, if they were working together, especially like you hit it, Nicole, like, you can't just give someone who's been living on the streets for a decade keys and just be like, here, you, success. And off with you. <laughs> you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of right. things that need to happen. Is it is it just like three different plans going off at the same time? Or, or is there any coordination? Do you know anything about what's happening there?
2: Yeah, all of these are supposed to be coordinating together. So it'll be interesting in the next year to see how effectively they do that. But in uh, Vega Peterson's plan, she did mention uh, the city's new tent sites as places to kind of let people stay while they work on moving them into housing, because even immediate housing could still mean a few weeks or a month. So uh, she hopes that These other things that the city is offering can be um, kind of the middle ground. So and also um, the state is kind of requiring these coordinated uh, plans in order for agencies to get the money. So there's an expectation on many levels that all of these different players are working together seamlessly. Um, We know that's a challenge, but. In a perfect world, they would all, yeah, work in unison.
1: So this is the part of the roundtable, Nicole, where we we each talk about one headline that caught our attention, and we're calling it our lightning round. John, do you want to start us off?
0: So for something completely different, I want to talk about the $150 cup of coffee. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? So for anybody who didn't catch this, there's this Coffee company Proud Mary. Uh, they're based in Australia, but they have an outpost on Alberta in Portland. And a couple of weeks ago, they said they were going to start selling cups of coffee that cost $150 each. Uh, they come from this really rare uh, coffee bean from Panama that costs $2,000 a pound. And they said in their shop, they're going to be selling 11 cups of this $150 per cup of coffee. And they completely sold out. And the thing that I thought was really interesting was who they said who bought it. Uh, They said some regulars came in, some like real coffee nerds came in to spend $150 on a cup of coffee. But then there was a couple people who were just like at the cafe that day and like Impulse bought a $150 cup of coffee. They were like getting a scone and then were like... Yeah, I'll spend one hundred fifty dollars oh on a God. cup of coffee. Yeah, why not? So <laughs>
1: you know they were getting a scone and they probably had three Bloody Marys, and then they're just like, "This is yeah, like a great Marys. idea." <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it is now sold out. Unfortunately, oh, that's too find... bad. <laughs> yeah, I know you really wanted one, Claudia. <laughs>
1: Nicole, would you would you throw down one hundred fifty dollars for I'm, what I'm essentially what essentially is a pour over, right? Because that's what they're, they specialize yeah. in.
0: They said it has the potential to taste like bubble gum or Fruit Loops. I don't
2: know. Oh, that doesn't seem like uh, I would want to pay 150 dollars to drink coffee uh, that tastes like bubble gum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think my palate's refined enough. I'd just be like, "Cool coffee." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a fun story, uh, Nicole. Do you have any anything that that distracted yeah. you from housing?
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Oregon was rated as the least romantic state in America. (laughs) (laughs) I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Have you felt uh, this has been less romantic than other places that you guys have lived?
0: Wow, that's a really good question. I think Oregon's kind of romantic. I think that like drippy, rainy weather can be like kind of cute. I don't know. (laughs) There's more yeah. romantic. I mean, yeah, there's like these gorgeous outdoor areas. That's super romantic. How
1: are we less romantic than like Las Vegas or I don't know, just <laughs> any like South, South, Dakota. South Dakota? Yeah, I don't know. Why I'm getting so defensive. Um, yeah, that's so <laughs> interesting.
2: You know, rainy weather leads to, you know, staying inside and cuddling. I just feel like you could really foster some romance here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and in this, like, have you been to our coast? Right. Do you think we're goths? Do you think that, like, deep down inside, no matter what we do in our lives, we're, there's a little, we have a little goth in us, and we're just like, this is beautiful, you know, and it's just like. But that's super romantic. <laughs> goths are, like, the they most are, romantic right. people.
2: I would agree with that.
1: <laughs> Sorry, everyone's listening. You're a goth. You live here, and that's, <laughs> you're probably blasting the cure, looking outside contemplatively with a hand pressed against a window.
0: I have actually listened to The Cure this week, full <laughs> disclosure.
1: <laughs> wow. I, like, who, who, who Whose study was this? I'm always just curious because I feel like we always come up in these studies. I'm just like, I'm sorry, what website now? You
2: know? um, Yeah, I've never heard of this website. It's called bookies.com, but one of our reporters <laughs> at the Oregonian rewrote <laughs> the story. So... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Really place your bets, but not on Oregon because it's really we are not going to get anyone there. No one's ready for romance. That, oh, that's so funny. Okay, well, uh, my story is actually something I saw from or the Oregonian TikTok, Nicole. So you probably already know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but this weekend, a video went viral, um, and not much information at first was given. It was just like you saw this this yacht. And, mm. and it got rolled over by a huge wave and, and it was at the mouth of the Columbia River. So I'm sure anyone who does sail or whatever, they're like, what the hell are they doing? It's terrible. Why would you cross the sandbar now? Because that is that that when the river, you know, meets the Pacific Ocean, that specific area is called the graveyard of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. It is super dangerous. So, so I mean, I think it might be considered one of the most dangerous like uh connections to the ocean like in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having to resist myself from jumping in on this story because I love it oh so my God. Much.
1: No 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 <laughs> you, want to, you, want to, you want to like go back and forth. No, no do you no, want to, no, like this is all do you want to hype man me?
0: You just oh. it's, it's like it's like it's like rewatching a movie that you want to I like, want to uh, experience yeah. it again. <laughs> so
1: then so then uh, it comes out that okay so this guy uh who who's Canadian Uh, Jericho LeBond, I believe that's his name. He stole that yacht. It was $160,000, and he stole that yacht. And the best part is that he went to the hospital totally okay, gave a fake name, walked away. And then everybody was like, hold on a second. That's not your yacht. And on top of that, aren't you the guy that left a fish, a dead fish in the Goonies' house? And you're just like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And he was wanted for that. And then on top top of that... uh, the Canadian police was like, can we have him? Uh, he has a ton of warrants for just like general mischief. And I'm like, if anyone just was the walking like image of like mischief, it'd be this guy. Like in 48 hours, he caused so much chaos. And so many well, people could have name? died. Jericho Labonte, including himself, like he yeah. could have died. Uh, that car Jericho, card.
0: Jericho's living his best life for sure. Oh,
1: no. I don't know, Nicole. <laughs> Do you think that's the best life
2: to <laughs> I,
0: for, Jericho, I would, for Jericho I just hope it
2: gets turned into a movie so we can all experience it over and over
0: <laughs> the Goonies sequel we all need oh, okay.
1: <laughs> great well Nicole thanks so much for uh, coming on the show We're, we really enjoy your reporting um, thank you for doing what you do uh, it's important to get these specific stories out and uh, have so much transparency around it
2: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed chatting. This was fun.
1: Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Our lead producer is John Otariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back next week with more conversations from around the city. Until then, see you at Slims.